1: Today, on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
0: Real
2: love is calling, opens up your eyes. Mercy is with every sunrise. That was their prayer. We don't want to be a dog. Thank you that we didn't, you know, weren't born a woman and that we weren't born a Gentile. That was their prayer. That's what Jewish men would pray. So there was this dividing wall of hostility. Now all of a sudden, you're preaching the gospel of Christ, and you and you have Jews who are receiving Christ as their Savior, believing in Him a Savior, and you have Gentiles who are believing Christ a Savior, and now they're coming to the same church.
1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ephesians. You may not like to admit that you have prejudice in your heart, but it's a part of the sinful nature of man. If you're honest with yourself, there is probably some group of people that you tend to look down on as a whole. For the Jewish men and the cultural context we read about in today's passage, Pastor Gary points out that women and Gentiles were both looked down upon. In Christ, that division has been brought to an end. When you crucify your old sinful nature, the prejudice should die with it. In Him, we are now made one, regardless of race, gender, or social standing. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: This letter is written uh, by the Apostle Paul around 60 AD from prison in Rome. Paul first visited Ephesus on his second missionary journey. He returned on his third journey, staying three years. That was really longer than any place else he ever had ministered. And in part because the city of Ephesus, it was, it was like sin city in the day. There were a lot of sin cities in that day. You know, Corinth was not a good place either. Ephesus, this is all part of the Roman Empire. So you, you, if you understand Roman history a little bit of the Roman Empire, you get the idea. Very uh, base, very carnal very immoral. Uh, a lot of sexual immorality in particular. Ephesus was no exception. It was a city that was full of all kinds of immorality. It's kind of like Vegas on steroids. And, and so what we have here is a city that was at that time um, the most populated city of Ionia. Think of Ionia like a county or a province. Ephesus was a city within that province. The population estimation 300,000 to 500,000 in the first century, which is the time period we're talking about. So you got to about a half a million people living in Ephesus at this time, situated on the shoreline of the Aegean Sea. So on a map, this is right on the coastline of modern Turkey on along the Aegean Sea. And again, it was a very pagan, idolatrous city. That's probably, again, the reason why Paul spent three years here. There's, he had a lot of ground to plow and he had had a lot of seeds to plant. This is, this was some hard soil. These were some very idolatrous, immoral people. And that was due in large part to this temple that stood in the city of Ephesus, the temple of Diana. Her, her Greek name is Artemis. She was the goddess of sex and fertility. It was a massive structure. Um, as in terms of the, 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 the land coverage, it was a, a little bit larger than a football field. It was about 130 yards by 60 yards. Okay, so a football field is 100 yards by 50. This is 130 by 60. So that's how much just flat ground it covered. And it had, as I mentioned there on the screen, 425 feet long, uh, 220 feet wide. It was 100, had 127 pillars all the way around, 60 feet high. And it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, rebuilt three times because of earthquakes until its final destruction in 401 A.D. So if you go to Ephesus today, you just see little archaeological remains and remnants and pillars and stuff. But this is an artist's rendering of what it might have looked like. I mean, it was a very massive building. And the reason I'm pointing this out is because, again, she's the goddess of sex and fertility, Diana. And and as a result, we know historically that at any one time there were upwards of a thousand temple prostitutes employed in the service of the Temple of Diana. A thousand temple prostitutes. And by the way, extra information for free, I don't know if you know this, but it was the inspiration for Michael Jackson's Dirty Diana. I don't know if you know that, but... I'm totally kidding. I just was, that was a random thought. And some of you have, what, what in the world did he just say? Anyway, so, but she was dirty Diana and everybody flocked to the temple and temple prostitutes. So, you know, and I hesitate to say, you know, imagine that because then now I've lost you, but it's, but, but it was as horrible as you would not want to imagine. And this is where, this is where Paul goes. And he goes first, the Bible says in Acts, because his ministry to the church of Ephesus, uh, or the, the beginning of the church of Ephesus, is, is mentioned in the book of Acts, and so he goes there, and but this is that this is that cult. can you imagine trying to plan a church where, where you got this in the shadow of your church? I mean, you talk about trying to be counterculture and trying to bring truth into a very immoral town. I mean, that's Ephesus, and yet this is what Paul does. And the Bible says in Acts that he goes first to the synagogue. There was a synagogue there, which means in order for there to be a Jewish synagogue, there had to at least be 10 adult males or more, but at least 10 in order for them to justify a temple So, there, or a synagogue. So there was a synagogue there, meaning there was a Jewish population in Ephesus around, around You know, among the half a million people, there was a strong Jewish population. Paul goes in, he goes first to the synagogue, it creates a riot, because these are Hellenistic Jews, most of them. Hellenistic Jews are are those who kind of have one one foot in the world and one foot in the synagogue. They were Hellenistic, and that, that just simply means they were influenced a lot by the Greek culture, and they weren't strict to the Jewish law. For example, Hellenistic Jews would eat pork. Now, pork was not kosher. Pork was unclean. But they're like, well, you know, we don't want to follow that. We don't take this stuff too seriously. And so, you know, we'll, we'll kind of do as the Romans do and the Greeks do. We'll eat a little pork and we'll still go to synagogue. You know, there, there's some Hellenistic Christians, Right. Unfortunately, shouldn't be that way, but unfortunately, there are some Christians who think, you know, I don't really need to take Jesus too seriously. I can still, you know, clown around and do some of this immoral stuff the world does, and I'll just, and I'll go to church on, on Sundays, and, you know, not Wednesdays. You're the better crowd, but so I'll go to church on Sundays, and, and, uh, you know, and I'll have one foot in the world and one, one foot in the church. That's the environment of Ephesus. That's the environment of the synagogue there. And and because when Paul begins to confront the Jews about the truth of Jesus, they they not only don't like Jesus, that whole message, but they don't like the fact that Paul's coming in and he's preaching about the one true God. and, And they, the people of Ephesus were making a livelihood, carving little idols of Diana and selling them. And when people started getting saved, they weren't buying the little statues of Diana. And so... Paul in effect quote was ruining their livelihood. I mean it was a good it was a good thing to ruin but because they were making a dime off of idolatry but nevertheless this uproar ensued and people you know this riot happened in Ephesus and Paul had had to leave. Now he comes back but but that's the beginning of what he plants here in sharing the gospel. People start to get saved, they change their livelihoods, they stop selling these idolatrous little statues and then as this church forms he will, from prison, well, he, he writes the letter from prison in, in 60 AD, so you know he had been in Ephesus years earlier, so he's writing back now uh, to the church to kind of strengthen them, encourage them, and exhort them. And I mentioned uh, in our studies that the, the book of Ephesians is neatly divided into two sections. The first three chapters are about our position based on what God has done for us. Um, and, and that's why, for example, in chapter 1, we went over these terms where it tells us, I'll just rattle off the list, like in verse 4, that he chose us. In verse 4 he, of chapter 1, he loved us. Verse 5, he predestined us. Verse 5, he adopted us. Verse 7, he redeemed us. Verse 13, he saved us. Verse 13 also, he sealed us. And the great emphasis Paul has on the first half of this letter is I want you to see and know all the things that God has done for you, how he has redeemed us and saved us and he loved us and he predestined us just all these things that god has done on our behalf and this is your standing in him this is your position in him but there's going to be a shift when we get to chapter four about now this is what we how we are to practice this is, this is how we are to live in response to what god has first done uh, in in our on our behalf so this is a, it's a beautiful book that is neatly divided in those two sections and this is the way Christianity is in general friends when you when you grasp what God has done for you you will want to in response run to him okay so if you have it backwards a lot of people do they think I'm gonna I'm gonna approach God and be really good and do a lot of good things and and hope that he will like me and love me and then maybe he'll do good things for me You know, it's actually the opposite. You know, God... God bankrupted heaven by purchasing us from sin and death, and the price that was paid was the blood of his son. He has done exceedingly abundantly wonderful things. Paul's going to mention this. I'm already quoting it from Ephesians. He said exceedingly abundantly amazing, wonderful things that we can't even comprehend on our behalf. This is why Jesus says it's finished on the cross. God has done already incredible, immeasurable things for us. Now, in response to that, oh, thank you, Lord, for loving me, and I want to have a relationship with you. And so that's that part, our, our practice, and then how we are to live out our faith. That's the latter half of the book. But we haven't finished the first half yet. We left off five weeks ago, uh, before the, the break, uh, in chapter two. And in chapter two, we left off after verse, at verse 10. And the first section here, if you'll notice again in chapter two, verse one, Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the way of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Who's that? Satan. He is, he is the he is the, uh, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, he is the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Okay? So Satan is always trying to intercept the good news of the gospel from bearing fruit in your heart. And so he's he's always at work in some way to try to discourage you or to try to intercept the truth, because he, he doesn't want you to have a relationship with the Lord. And so Paul says here, Remember when you were dead in your transgressions and sins, before you came to know Christ, which you used to live, you just followed the ways of this world. You know, you and I were just doing things according to our own sinful nature. Okay, And he says in verse 3, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. You know, we deserved God's wrath, but because of His great love for us, circle the word love in your Bible, because of His great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, circle the word mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, circle the word grace, that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. This word grace, by the way, is, is repeated 11 times through the book of Ephesians. It is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So notice he says it's not by works you get saved. You can't do enough to earn your way to heaven. But by the way, because you love the Lord, you're going to want to show your salvation by doing good works. Just don't, don't get it reversed and think you can work your way into God's, God's good graces. His grace is a free gift that he's already lavished on us, but we want to do good works in response to what God has already done for us. So you're saved not by good works, you're saved by faith in what Christ has done, his good work at the cross, and now because I put my trust in him, I want to do good things. I want to honor him. I want to live a life of integrity and character and morality because that will honor him that will that will honor the lord but it's not working your way it's showing works as a result of your salvation in verse 11 he begins this section with the word therefore and every college professor will tell you that the word therefore means that it's what is it therefore and it's a transitional term he's building off of what he just said said so, okay we're we're saved by faith it's a it's a grace that that uh, is God's gift to us. It's his love, his mercy, his grace. Therefore, verse 11, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you once were far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. All right, let's unpack this a little bit. What is he talking about here? So he's going to step away a little bit here and he's going to focus for a moment on the Gentiles. Now, in our church, we have mostly Gentiles. There are some Jews who are also here, and they're a part of the family because they're believers in, in Jesus. Uh, in fact, because of their Judaism, they have somewhat of an advantage to us because they have the beauty of knowing all of, uh, of the Jewish roots and still you know, growing in their faith and trusting Christ as their Savior. Okay, Gentiles, we have to kind of catch up. We have to kind of learn what is Jewish history, what, what is the Old Covenant, what does all this mean? By and large, most of us are Gentiles. And Paul here is going to speak directly for the moment to the Gentiles in the church. That's why he says in verse 11, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, okay? Because the Jews practiced circumcision by way of covenant. And so that's what marked them in their flesh as belonging to God. The Gentiles were not, at this particular time, not circumcised. It wasn't a part of their, uh, standard of hygiene. It wasn't, it wasn't a covenant thing. They Gentiles didn't get circumcised. And in that regard, sometimes they're called the uncircumcised. The Jews are called the circumcised. So he's going to speak here for the moment about what he refers to in verse 14 as a dividing wall of hostility. He says, there's a dividing wall of hostility between Gentiles and Jews. And he says, we're going we're to have to work on this. We've got to reconcile this, because the church has got to be one, and there's some division. So he starts with the Gentiles. He says, all right, look, I know you're called the un- uncircumcised by those who are called circumcised. And, and he says here, um, I know that before you came to know Christ, in verse 12, he says you were separate from Christ. And then he makes this list of really sad things. He said there in verse 12, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You're foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You're without hope and without God. And by the way, when you don't have God, you don't have hope anyway, right? And it's only when you have the Lord that you really have hope in the truest sense. So he's, he's going down this list. He goes, okay, remember before you knew Christ, you were excluded from Israel. You were not partakers of the covenant. You, you, you didn't have any hope. You didn't have God, You're just these heathen Gentiles living in Ephesus, having a good time at the temple of dirty Diana. All right. And so that's what he's saying to them. He says, that's how you were before you came to know Christ. He says, but I want you to understand that what Christ has done is not only saved you, but he has brought peace between Jew and Gentile. Now, listen, there was prejudice on both sides. An Orthodox Jew believed that gentiles were created by god for one purpose to be fodder for the fires of hell and they would get up jews typically in this day and they would pray three particular things well it's one particular prayer but about three particular things god thank you that you didn't make me a dog a woman or a gentile no offense to the ladies in the house or any seeing eye dogs that might be here as well but that was their prayer we don't want to be a dog. Thank you that we didn't, you know, weren't born a woman and that we weren't born a Gentile. That was their prayer. That's what Jewish men would pray. So there was this dividing wall of hostility. Now all of a sudden, you're preaching the gospel of Christ, and you, and you have Jews who are receiving Christ as their Savior, believing him as Savior, and you have Gentiles who are believing Christ as Savior, and now they're coming to the same church. Yeah, that's praise God, is right. But but at this time, they've got some prejudice going and some hostility going. And so he says in verse 14, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now there was there was this there there was this wall of hostility. If you remember in your Bibles in, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 10, just to show you that even people who are spiritually you know, spiritual giants. They can still wrestle with prejudice. Peter, the apostle Peter, in Acts chapter 10, prided himself in being a good Jew. And then one day, the Lord gave him a vision. Gave him a vision of a sheet, like a a bed sheet, being lowered from heaven, suspended by the four corners of the sheet, and inside the sheet were all kinds of unclean animals that were not kosher to eat. And in this vision, in this, in this dream that he has, the Lord says to him, get up and eat. Well, Peter, being a good Jew, sees in this vision th- that these animals are unclean, and he says, surely not I, Lord, for I have not eaten anything unclean. And in Acts chapter 10, the Lord responds to him in this vision, in this dream, and he says, do not call unclean that which God has made clean. Now, what God was preparing him for was an understanding that just as certain dietary laws are no longer in effect because Christ now has died on a cross and so they're not bound by some of the dietary laws, those dietary laws were put into effect to help them understand the picture of not just hygiene, but purity and cleanliness, okay? But all of the law was fulfilled in Christ, so dietary has been fulfilled in Christ. But it was also because God wanted Peter to come into contact with, the own, with this prejudice of his own heart. And that up to this point, Peter had so prided himself in being a Jew that he had no contact with Gentiles. And did not even understand that the gospel of the the cross, the good news of Jesus, was extended to Gentiles. So God's preparing his heart. Lowers down this sheet of unclean animals. God says, do not call anything unclean which God has made clean. And then throughout this vision, then the Lord shows him, hey, you're going to get a knock at the door. You're going to go to this Gentile's house, this Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius. And I want you to go share the gospel with him. Sure enough, he awakes from this dream, a knock at the door. There's these messengers there. Hey, you're supposed to come with us to the home of Cornelius the centurion. Peter, already prepared by the Holy Spirit, says, yeah, I've kind of been waiting for your call. And so he goes with them. Now, for him to step into the home of a Gentile, you have to understand this is so, this is such a conflict to how he was raised and what he was taught and the whole understanding of Jews being separate and distinct and God's people and only God's people. And now the idea that God has given him not only permission, but encouraged him. You go to this house, you preach the good news. This is challenging for him. So it might be hard for you to understand, but, but l- listen, this, this was deep-seated prejudice. And Peter had to deal with this. And he goes into the house of Cornelius, shares the gospel. Cornelius and his family get saved. First Gentiles of the New Testament church to get saved. Cornelius' family with them. They're baptized. A few chapters later, Acts chapter 15 the church in Jerusalem, which is kind of headquarters for the New Testament church, they get wind of this. Like, whoa, what is going on? We heard some Gentiles came to faith in Jesus. We're not sure that this, this works. We're not sure this is what it's how it's supposed to go. And Peter himself, in Acts 15, it says, at the church in Jerusalem, he gets up and he speaks to, to the leaders of the church. He says, brothers, you know how by my own lips... I shared the gospel with these people. I can testify to you that, that the Holy Spirit came to them as much as He has come to us. For He purified their heart by faith. He says, "I'm an eyewitness of this. I saw the rea- I saw the response. I saw their heart change. I, I and, and in that particular case in Acts 10, the Holy Spirit fell and they spoke in tongues. I mean, I mean, God was doing a new thing, and it was among the Gentiles. And Peter's testifying to this in Acts chapter 15.
1: find the cornerstones your connection towards your new life that's all we have time for today on cornerstone connection pastor gary will have more to share from ephesians next time but right now we'd like to tell you how you can continue studying god's word on your own did you know that you can learn from the bible you don't need a degree or years of study to understand what god has to say Just open up the scripture and ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and heart to the message printed there. If you'd like some additional resources to help with your personal time studying the Bible, we've compiled a list for you on our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Just search under the Teachings tab. While you're there, feel free to listen to more of Pastor Gary's messages in Ephesians or in the other books of the Bible he's explored. You can also subscribe to our podcast or take Cornerstone Connection anywhere with the mobile app to listen to commentary on the Word. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to meet you. Come join us at Cornerstone Chapel to spend time in fellowship, worship, and studying Scripture together. Your presence is most welcome. Find out more at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you'll tune in again for our next edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know. But still you know, you're not alone.